Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome to the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman, joined by my very comical sound engineer, Jeff Olson. He's uh, making me laugh and trying to throw me off, but he will not. I'm on a singular mission here with you. Uh, So we're going to begin today a three-episode little mini-series. And let me start off with this. Let me have a call response. You just say the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with University of Texas football. But uh, there's a call response thing that happens at uh, DK Royal Stadium. And the people on one side of the stadium will shout out, Texas! And then the people on the other side respond with, Fight! So it's Texas! Fight! So we're going to do a little call response. And I'm going to predict your response when I make this call. Ready? Here I go. Limits! And you say, None. Limits. No. Limits. Not for me. So we're talking uh, for these next three episodes on limits and whether or not limits, actual limits on our lives, boundaries, guardrails, are an invitation or an injustice. So the series is called Limits, Injustice or Invitation. And uh, if you're like me, when somebody says to me, you have a limit here, this is as far as you go, here and no further, or you can't do this, my immediate knee-jerk response is, oh, really? I don't accept that. You don't think I can? Oh, yeah? Just watch me. There are no limits on me. Now, there's something in me that uh, is that immediate impulse and default, but you know, it wasn't always that way for us as people. Uh, I'm saying that because I'm including us all in my a dysfunction of not wanting to have any limits. And uh, the age that we live in, uh, for a variety of reasons, including the uh, development of various technologies uh, over the past few decades, have given us at least the impression, if not uh, in, involved us in a fantasy, that we can live a life without limits. Uh, but in fact, that's not possible. And another fact is, if we think about it well, We wouldn't want to live a life without limits uh, based on how we're built, how we're created. So what I want to do here in this first installment of limits, injustice, or invitation is talk about, from a biblical worldview, the limits that we were given in creation. So if you know the creation account, it's Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, there was a limitless creator, we know him as creator God, as Yahweh, as Elohim, as El Shaddai, he, without limits, created out of nothing uh, everything that we see and everything that we are. So let's look at uh, limits in the purely invitational form, which is maybe difficult for us to imagine, but there was a time on this earth when our parents, our original parents, saw limits that were authored by this creator God, who was without limits, a time when they saw these limits not as an injustice, but actually an invitation. 
So in just Genesis 1 and 2, I'm just going to summarize in the aspects of limits that this limitless God has given to us as an invitation. So if you know anything about what we would say the theology of God, uh, we know that three of his characteristics begin with omni, O-M-N-I. Uh, that means all or without limit. So three aspects of God's omni are his omnipresence, which means he's everywhere all the time. He's omnipotent or omnipotent, which means he can do anything and everything. He has the power to do that. It's the word potent, powerful. And then he's omni-knowing or he's omniscient. He knows everything. And not just from a data point collection, he knows everything as to sequence and scope and wisdom. And so the, the creator, who is without limits, built a creation with limits in a beautiful design. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. So let's just look at some of the specifics of the inviting limits of our creatureliness. I don't know if you ever heard that said before. It's not really a word, I don't think. A creaturely is a word, but I put the ness or the aspects or characteristics uh, and behaviors now that follow. So we are creatures. God is the creator. God, the creator, created us, the creature. And so he also built in to the creation and to us as his crown jewel of creation, his image bearers, uh, limits for our creatureliness existence. So uh, the first limit is that we're dependent on our creator uh, for a variety of things, for existence, uh, for sustenance, uh, for the very life in our body, the breath in our lungs, so we are limited in the fact that we do not self-create. Uh, I didn't decide before I had a body and a physiology and an intellect to create myself. So that's, that's probably the most significant limit on my creatureliness is that I'm dependent on God, on the creator, for my existence. Also uh, embedded in, in Genesis 1 and 2 is the fact of my dependence on my creator and others for necessary community life and maintenance of my daily existence as a creature. And so we see that God created in his own image, uh, who we now know as Adam and Eve, and he created them for each other and for intimacy with him. And that implies at least, but it's expressed elsewhere, that God who lives in community also created his image bearers to be in community, that's necessary to do life well, both emotionally and as a co-equal creator and co-regent. Uh, so God created his image bearers. I'm, I'm really holding off here because I want to move to the next step and move specifically. But we're dependent on God for our existence, on our creator for existence. We're dependent on him for necessary community along with others who have been designed for community. And then thirdly, the limits that God put on our creatureliness include our biological design and our bodily purpose. Like what is our biological design and what is the purpose of our bodies? See, I, I am created male, and so I have to co-create the next generation with someone who's a female. So I have limits built in there. There's no way for me to transgress my biological design and my bodily purpose in order to fulfill the invitation to 
bring the next generation into being. So that's a limit. And it's also beautiful if you understand uh, the fabric that God has designed for human flourishing. So along with biological design and purpose, uh, I am now a co-creator with other image bearers to fill the earth. For me and my wife, we are now uh, commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And I'm also, by design and purpose, built to form family, to form culture, and to have dominion over that culture with God as my transcendent lawgiver and also with others that I cooperate with to form a culture, to create family, and to have dominion and create generations of secure image bearers. So I know I'm saying a lot, but all these have built-in limits. Uh, this is not just a free-for-all of, of God giving a, a non-specific uh, group of creatures some freewheeling opportunity to do what they will. Uh, God has given us the beautiful limits of guardrails under his authority. He is our lawgiver, so we have those limits in place as well. Uh, now, one more thing here about the inviting limits of our creatureliness in creation is that we have time and space occupancy. If you remember in creation in Genesis 1, there was morning and there was evening, and it was the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day. And after every one of his creative days, God declared that that activity and that day was good. Uh, when, he, when he was all finished up and his image bearers had been formed and given their mandates to fill the earth, to create culture and have dominion, God spoke that form and those limits as very good. And so the creation is set up now to have uh, a flourishing generational limited freedom. I know that sounds weird together, but in true God-given creator-authored limits, there is the absolute best freedom because God has formed the world. He has formed me. He has formed my wife. I'm just speaking of my family here. And we, as we operate in the framework of God's beautiful limits, have the best chance to experience a flourishing life individually with each other for our children's sake and for their children's sake. Now, I want to I want to reference before we close uh, a conversation about these limits that that our creator had with a particular image bearer who was not really uh, all that excited about having to be under God's limits and authority. Uh, his name, if you recall, is Job. Uh, and I'm kind of jumping ahead and previewing our next episode. But if you know the story of Job in summary you will see that uh, Job was afflicted uh, by God's permission to ultimately determine uh, Job's depth of devotion and passion for trusting God as his uh, source of refuge, his provider, uh, his savior, his redeemer. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long book. It's 42 chapters of a lot of conversation uh, between Job and his wife, Job and his friends, and ultimately, and I use friends uh, advisedly, quote-unquote friends. There's all kind of characteristics that come out in these friendships and these conversations. But ultimately, the last conversation is when God shows up, and after all this conversation about whether or not God's limits and uh, the activity of God's plans in Job's life is, is invitational or unjust, 
The Lord shows up and insists that Job have a seat because now that God's been interrogated through all these conversations, the Lord wants to interrogate Job about the Creator's plans and the Creator's knowledge. So in Job 38, again, there's, there's, a, there's a long conversation here, and it basically closes out the rest of the book through chapter 42. In Job 38, in the middle of a storm, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And the, ret- the rhetorical answer to that is, It's me, I'm Job. And so the Lord continues to Job, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you now, and you shall answer me. And so here is the creature and creator distinction, starting in verse 4. The creator says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? So there are limits here to the creation. Tell me if you understand. And so that's another rhetorical question. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation, Job? And Job has to answer, I wasn't. I'm completely dependent on you for my existence. I wasn't there. Verse 5, who marked off its dimensions? More limits. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone? All this language is about the beautiful constructive design of of a creator who spoke all of the world and the cosmos into existence. But he did it with very specific dimensions and measurements. On what were its footing set? I'm in verse 6. Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. So there's a heavenly chorus just rooting God on as he's bringing the world into existence. Verse 8. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it? And set its doors and bars in place. When I said, This far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. So that's as much as I'm going to read. That's through verse 11 of chapter 38. But I hope you get the message that, that Job here, in his distress and really his, his feelings of injustice that God is doing him wrong by having him experience the reality of his plan, of God's plan for Job's life, and he's not liking these limits. He's not liking where these foundations are laid. He's not liking where the dimensions are marked off. But what God is saying to Job through this questioning is that you have no right to question the Creator about the limits and the freedoms of his creation. And this, this final statement here, when I fix limits for it, in verse 10, when he's talking about the sea, when I fix limits for the sea and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, that takes me right back into the creation account where God is speaking to his beloved image bearers, inviting them into this true freedom that comes by adhering to these limits. He says, this is, this is the size and magnitude and beauty of this playground of a creation I've given to you. But you must go everywhere and enjoy, but you must not go. You, must, you may go no farther and access this one tree to prove your devotion and love for me. Hey, that had rhymed. 
I'm gonna, you want to write that down and capture that? I may put this in a haiku or something like that. <laughs> we were talking about haikus before we started here. So when God says, this far you may come and no farther, that applies to every aspect of his material creation, but it also applies to our moral behavior as image bearers and for our original parents in the garden who came into this existence in innocence, in in moral purity. God said one thing about you may go no further than the edges of my permission and access. You cannot access this one prohibition. This is your litmus test of devotion for all I've given you and living life and the freedom that I've laid out in these guardrails or these limits. So this is, this is, the, this is the beauty. This is the invitation of living life within limits. But something happened, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. Something happened that now has me responding whenever I hear someone say to me, Mitch, you may go this far and no farther. Something in me says, who are you to tell me? Just watch. I'll do what I want. We'll talk about those limits and whether or not we now see limits as injustice or invitation on the next episode of The Pinocchio Project. This is Mitch Friedman signing off. Thanks so much for being with us on The Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.